Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. So excited to be with Jenny Tuff today. Jenny describes herself as an adventurer, storyteller, mountain lover. Born in Canada as Jenny Smith, she changed her name. No, she didn't. Jenny Tuff is a writer and adventurer, an enthusiast for all things endurance challenges, particularly in the mountains. Whether it be a race or a solo adventure, her desire to push her limit has led to numerous corners of the world. In 2021, she completed a global challenge to run solo and unsupported across a mountain range on every continent, including three world-first traverses. She also competed in long-distance bikepacking races, including becoming the two-time first woman in the Silk Road mountain race and first woman in the inaugural Atlas mountain race, considered two of the toughest off-road bike races. Outside of her personal pursuit, she has worked to get more people outside and challenging their own comfort zones, particularly women and girls, which she has championed by launching a book in 2020 called Tough Women, Adventure Stories. Her book solo, Out Now, is her account of a mountain range project. In it, she says, did I solve all of life's big questions on this project? No. Did I figure out a few? Actually, yes. Every adventure teaches me something. That's the value of adventure. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Thanks, Jen. You know what? I tell people all the time if they can come up with an original joke for my name being tough, <laughs> that that would be because like I just hear the same jokes every day. But you actually that was new. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you don't send me a bio and I get to write it myself. I'm like, just make stuff up. <laughs> I would have done. I don't like writing my bio. I just, you know, that's so hard. Someone says, can you describe in 200 words who you are? And you go, uh, I just don't reply to that email. I think what I what I find interesting is that I spend a lot of the podcasts and also my writing talking about are we putting too much value on these achievements and what are we celebrating? And then when somebody comes on the podcast, I just list all the stuff they've done in races and world firsts and things. And I just feel like... I. Um, I want to start doing like Jenny is a really kind person. <laughs> what are if we she valuing? Were she would be lavender. Yeah, you <laughs> go in different directions with these things. Yeah, it's I totally agree. Who it's are hard, you? Isn't it? Your achievements. <laughs> well, that that's my first question. We've already gone deep. We just started, and we've already gone <laughs> into the really deep stuff. We're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? It's what what do we celebrate? And particularly on social media, we just, how important is it that you were doing the first crossings of these mountains? It seemed like it was something that changed throughout the book. Yeah. um, I mean, it was definitely exciting. And especially because I was very new in the industry. I mean, I was in my 20s. I was a young person trying to get a foothold. So definitely being able to say that to kind of almost get in the door, like mm. get booked for a speaking event if you say you're the first person to run across Kyrgyzstan. But then my talk isn't going to be about that. It's going to be about the nomads that I met. It's going to be about the time that I cried, what I learned about myself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's this really funny thing about operating in a capitalist system. And, um, and you said but, that you felt like you couldn't get into that mountaineering community. I think you'd 
because, you know, this white man that has done all these first. Do you think yeah. that that is changing and maybe there is more space now for people that not necessarily being the furthest and the fastest, but just have something to tell us and some experience to share? I think it's changing slowly. I do think opportunities are arriving. Um, and I think we all can see quite clearly that a lot of them are tick box exercises where we say we got this different type of person on the panel or whatever. Um, I do think the glass ceiling is still very much there. Um, you know, the high highest level of success in our industry is is still reserved for one type of guy. Um, so I do I do think it's changing, but I'm I'm not gonna let the industry off the hook. I don't think I don't think we're there. Um I don't see a lot of I don't see a lot of body diversity. I don't see a lot of racial diversity um, and stories. Like you said, I mean, that's kind of always been the drum that I've banged is it's also about when you let other people tell their stories, we're going to hear lots of different types of stories. And, you know, I don't want to hear the same story again about Man Conquers Mountain. I mean, they're great. The adventures of old, you know, they're no shade. I mean, some shade, but like no serious shade on them. But um, I want to hear new stories. And when you read stories or books or whatever written by someone who's completely different from you they might explore the mountains in a totally different way than you ever thought of and and that's so good for us for those of us who love doing this stuff it's you know you want your mind expanded you want to hear different perspectives so um yeah it's important but i still think you know coming back to that i kind of had to say that i was the first person to run across kyrgyzstan rather than saying i went to kyrgyzstan and had a beautiful experience trail running i have to say something relatable like I ran a thousand kilometers and and that gets me the job that gets me the opportunity to be able to write for your magazine or speak on your stage or whatever it is so I think I'm rambling now but yeah I think I think we're changing but I I don't think it's changed I don't think we're done I don't think we can relax Mm. it's definitely something that I felt from when I was doing big challenges and sponsored by brands and having all these opportunities and then I don't I don't have that anymore because I'm physically I just can't do what I used to do so it's definitely something that's on my mind and also I suppose it's that connection that I don't want people to feel that they they're not having valuable experiences just because they're not being picked for talks or you know putting it out on social media and getting all the likes and things. Yeah, no, I think that's that's totally true. Um, yeah, it's. I do think that everyone's got amazing stories to tell, and you know, in the racing world, for example, you know, a world that you know very well, the guy, I, I say guy, but the person at the front, it's. I genuinely think they have the worst stories. They're so boring. <laughs> they really <laughs> and then are. Whole <laughs> midfield and backfield of runners that have these amazing stories for what got them to finish that ultra, and they'll never get to book a speaking gig. Runners World will never ask them to write for them because you know they came seventeenth in this <laughs> ultra. You know that doesn't. It just doesn't get you that headline. But I guarantee you that person has a more interesting story that I would rather read, but I'll never get to read it because you got to have those. so yeah the world first thing yeah it was important it got my career going but I never I'm kind of a little bit aware that I could have actually gone and taken that record or the FKT I could you know I could have submitted to FKT or I could have gone to Guinness World's Records and asked them to give it to me but I was like it's not about that and I don't want to give my experience to these um organizations that get to decide whether or not I'm 
you know, I get the certification of a proper adventure. I just to me that was too it's too capitalist. And I just said, no, I'm not I'm not going down that road. Um adventure is valid. And I think more people should run across Kyrgyzstan and not worry about the fact that I already did it. Um because they'll have different experiences. They'll have amazing experiences and that doesn't change just because I've already done it. Yeah. And I think that the points that I really enjoyed in your book Solo were those interactions with the local people and their experiences of the mountains and their view of you, which was usually incredulous at what you were doing. And if you just go to set a record, you're not going to drop down and use those guest houses. You probably you're going to have such a different story on you. It's just going to be running fast, pushing your body. Yeah, you might get some nice views and the stars and things, but you're going to get in a sleep deprived state and and not interact with the local people and not really add anything to their yeah, communities. Yeah, I think that's something I, I knew early on was that if I wanted to see whether or not I could run a thousand kilometers, which was a big question going into that first one was whether I could do it. It's like, if that's the only thing, then I should stay in Scotland and do it and do it under, you know, safe parameters or just do it on a treadmill where you can get fed the whole time. You know, like if it's just about that, then why would I, why would I get on an airplane and go to this other country? You know, it has to be about that. And so, yeah, Kyrgyzstan's an amazing one because I had that amazing experience running and then when the Silk Road race, that mountain biking race launched, I knew I could do it because I would already had that experience because it's so hard in a race environment going through this country where I know that these experiences and these people are so kind but if you're racing someone asks you to come in for a cup of tea you have to say no because you don't have time for a cup of tea and that sucks that's horrible I would never be able to cope with that unless I had already gone to that country and and had those experiences first because otherwise yeah it would just it would feel so empty to me to to go to a place like that and to have the chance to go to a place like that it's not like we can always fly out to these places yeah um, and just ignore the place and do my athlete thing and then actually I'm just thinking to Lee Craig's book where she went out early and and then went and had those experiences of stopping meeting the locals and then when she finished that she decided she didn't need to race at all and <laughs> didn't do the race I think was what she said so talking about that first set, um, mountain range that you set off to run across You've talked about the curiosity of could you do it physically, but what else was motivating you for for that expedition? That's probably not, I mean, that's not a word I know for that adventure. I think I'll go. I know. Yeah, it took me a long time to get around to the world expedition because I was like, I don't know. I think everyone says it for hiking trips, and it just it just didn't. I didn't think I qualified, and then I thought about it. I was like, oh yeah, this is. This is a world. I'm not really. Like I've not really thought about it in that much depth. So it's just not really a word that yeah. I'd use for that sort I, of trip. I always feel a little bit squeamish when I say it because I think, oh, <laughs> people aren't going to believe me or something like that. And then, yeah, I thought of theories. Oh, yeah, it isn't. It does actually qualify as an okay. So, what was your first? What was your motivation for that first expedition? <laughs> um, I think I wanted to see if I could, and and that's in so many different directions. Yeah, the thousand kilometer run. Um the survival, the isolation, you know, it was kind of like, what was I tough? And it was once I started telling people I was going to do it and the doubt from everyone about this just really intensified those feelings for me. I was like, well, now I really need to know because obviously everyone who knows me, they're erring on the side of, no, I couldn't do it. And so now I, 
I just need to know. And it was like, here. And then, of course, it was also, I picked Kyrgyzstan because I wanted to see the mountains and the nomads. You know, I've always believed that my heart and soul is one of a nomad. And, you know, it's just not how I grew up. So I wanted to to meet these people that I'd heard so much about and was so curious about their lives and um, play in these huge mountains and see Central Asia. So there was the exploration part of it was big, um, both the external exploration, you know, this landscape, these people, and then the internal one. Can I handle how hard this is going to be? I didn't totally know how hard it was going to be. If you've never done a thousand kilometers before, how could you ever know how hard it is? But I knew, I knew that was going to be brutally hard. Um, so yeah, like, could I handle it? Could I handle that kind of intensity, that kind of pressure, that kind of the isolation I would have to go through? Yeah, it was just a little big question mark. And I was so curious. And, you know, I think we all want to know what we're capable of. I think we all want to know if the time comes that things are really hard for us, what is that going to bring out in us? Are we going to be able to cope with the adversity? And adventure is so great because you get to put yourself in a really difficult situation. And of course, it's different because you went put yourself there by choice but you know you do get to find out what you're made of and you do get to find out how you respond and you can improve and how you respond to difficult situations and that's kind of what's kept me going back is that you know in Kyrgyzstan I did have a lot of terrible terrible times and I cried and I had little hissy fits and then I managed to keep myself going and I look back on some of the things that brought me to tears back in that expedition and they just wouldn't upset me anymore because I practiced so much. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's something that you can carry into your everyday life. You have that skill set to deal with adversity. Yeah. I, long Sorry. And I think that often, because it's, it, it was my world, I have people asking to come on the podcast where they run a hundred miles or 200 miles or something. And for me, I, I just think we've well, chosen to do that. And yes, you might've gone through something tough, but actually it's in a very safe environment. But I think the difference with what you were doing is that, yes, you'd chosen to be there, but you were so remote and it just wasn't possible. It's not like you can just call it a day at the next checkpoint and be home in a few hours, which it often was for me racing. So there was that, although you had put yourself there in the first place, it was definitely an element of risks and dangers and remoteness that, that was apparent throughout. And so talking about resilience, it feels like that's what you were talking about, this how we are in adversity. What does resilience mean for you? I guess it's the ability to withstand. Um, it doesn't have to mean thrive. It's great if it does. Um, but I think at its really core, it's it's your ability to withstand, to not cave. And yeah. It's great if it can mean that you can thrive in a terrible environment, but sometimes we're not going to thrive. Sometimes we're just going to get through. No, and I like I liked how honest you were that you weren't always thriving and this wasn't always wonderful. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes that's the stories that we hear, that it all went brilliantly yeah. and, and everything went well. And to have... Yeah, and it made me better and made me stronger. No, sometimes it it's rough and you learn and you carried on. You know, it's that type three fun, not one that you look back on and go, yeah, I would do that again. Sometimes you look back and you go, I mean, one thing that struck me is that you clearly love being in the mountains. It feels like home wherever you are in the mountains. And you had 
there were some really beautiful descriptions that you gave in your book about seeing the stars and really this sense of peace. I mean, I'm sure you said a few times, this is the best place I've ever run. And I'm like, again? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and then at the same time, like on the next next paragraph, you had quite a lot of anxieties, whether it was about the weather, the terrain, am I going to get washed away? Am I going to be hit by this thunderstorm? Um, And then sometimes with the people as well that were around. And so I was just quite interested in that relationship that you had. Are you saying that it's about managing those anxieties and they're always going to be there for you? Or are we trying to get to a place where it is all peaceful and we have a lovely time? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about ultras is that I um everything comes in waves your mood goes up it goes down it goes up and the further along you get in that ultra the bigger the highs the deeper the lows but the more you practice with that and sit with that discomfort of of either one knowing that all these feelings are completely temporary the highest temporary the lowest temporary um you can start to stop that big wave and start to make it a little bit smaller and start to be able to say to yourself okay, I'm really scared or I am incredibly uncomfortable. It is temporary. And and that was a great thing about doing this challenge in the mountains because the mountains are my home. They are the place that I, I feel so at peace. And so in every single one of these adventures, I had these moments where the physical landscape around me calmed me right down and brought me back to remembering why I'm here and why I love this. And that made it those are kind of the things that I had to cling to and look forward to. And, you know, in the shittest moments, be able to say, like, look around you, breathe that in, try to like dial it down. So there was a lot. Um, yeah, I obviously didn't totally master calming myself down. Uh, but God, by the end of the challenge, I mean, yeah, the things that upset me. And that's why I, that's why I believe that the last chapter is so short, because by then I was kind of getting good at it. And I was like, well, <laughs> Yeah, you know, this really hurts, but I'm not upset about it anymore. Whereas, yeah, in the first couple of ranges I did, I mean, I could be in tears over running out of water for a second. Like, you know, it just, you get, yeah, it gets better with practice. But yeah, the the time in the mountains and, and having those reminders around me to look for the gold, to look for the beauty, that that made it a lot easier. If I had done this in the desert, I don't think I would have. I don't think I would have finished the project. <laughs> don't feel don't feel good in the desert. I'm Scottish. <laughs> and I think I've heard you talk about fearlessness and about I suppose that comes in for that anxiety that it we don't need to be fearless to do these things. It's about does that go back to managing the fear or just getting to know your fears or challenging your fears? How do you see it um around yeah. fearlessness? Yeah, there's this real toxic trait of the um, macho adventurers to talk about being fearless. And it's so stupid because fear is an important thing that your brain does. You know, fear stops you from going too close to an edge. Fear stops you from touching the stovetop when it's on. You know, like fear is is really important, um, but you have to get to know your fear. Like I, I always talk about my fear as a relationship and it's a relationship I'll be in my whole life. Um, so I want to manage that relationship and make sure it's a really good one because when fear comes up for me and because I'm very practiced at it now, when fear comes up for me, I can say, okay, what are you, what do you need to tell me right now? Um, and it might be a completely rational fear. So this is why you got to sit with it. You got to say, are you a rational fear? As in, is that thunderstorm going to hit me in a really bad place? And I could genuinely get myself in trouble 
or is it an irrational fear? Like, I swear the bush just moved and there's probably a dragon in it that's going to eat me. And if it's irrational, then you've got to figure out why is my brain taking me down this little road? Like, most likely I'm just hungry. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> I'm getting hangry. Um, and so it's really good that my brain has given me some alert that some system is off. You know, are you hungry? Are you tired? Are you cold? Whatever it is. Um, when you're physically off, your brain can start, you know, well, mine does. I get hangry. Um, but if it's a rational fear, if it's genuinely like you're in a bad situation, that's why you feel so anxious right now is because you could physically hurt yourself right now. Then you need to, you really need to address that. You need to say, okay, how can I minimize the risk? And if I can't, you know, and there are several situations in the book where there was nothing I could do. As you said, I was in really remote locations um, in really challenging environments. Sometimes it was, okay, this is dangerous. Nothing we can do about the fact that it's dangerous except for focus, except for do a really good job, except for take this really seriously. Um, and, you know, and, and those ones, you know, there's no being around the bush. There's nothing you can do to avoid them. Sometimes you sometimes you get into shit when you go into the mountains. It's just it's part of it. Well, yeah, the way to uh, avoid it is stay home and do nothing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so in those moments, like being afraid is not going to help. Like my kneecaps respond to fear in a very physical way that they <laughs> lock dead. And then, you know, and I remember so many times I've been on the edge of a mountain and the sun has set and I can't see where I'm going. And then my knees just say, well, we're not going to help. And you're like, oh, shit. If I stay afraid, I can't get down this mountain. I will fall. So you have to, you know, and for everyone, it might be different for me. It's go to your breath or put in your headphones and listen to Beyonce. It's one or the other. Like these things will get my legs to start moving, start to get your heart normalized, start to say, okay, this is dangerous but it's way more dangerous if I stay afraid and lock up and panic and get irrational and get weird. Like just say, okay, fear, I hear you. I'm dealing with it. And now I need you to just be quiet so I can focus. Yeah. It really can affect your decision-making kind of in terms of. Yeah. And that's the danger of being alone. I mean, you'll know from your ultras, like when you're completely alone out there and you have to make a decision and you can't bounce it off someone like, yeah, don't do that hungry or scared or cold or, you know, the decisions on things. Um, yeah, like you can just make these rash decisions or wrong decisions or not make a decision and just stay stuck. So, um, yeah, you really, the level of awareness that you need to be able to be completely alone in those environments where you don't have a partner to help you get down from wherever you are Um it just intensifies it. Yeah. I think you were talking, maybe was it in the New Zealand trip where you were saying that if you had somebody there with you, they could coax you down and support you. So you started doing that to yourself. I'm not sure if you were doing that in your head or out loud. <laughs> I was like, great job, Jenny. I don't know <laughs> just if I, I probably partner. do do it out loud. This is the only question I've had is how much, how much audio audio comes out of you when I'm running it doesn't matter um, when you're like it's when you go around a corner and you're talking to well I am I'm talking to oh, myself yeah, and then suddenly me you like, meet somebody singing <laughs> along and I'm not a very good singer um yeah I did I did start a thing that was um be the adventure buddy you'd wish you brought so if you're running with a really nice friend you know like the people you're not scared to go running with people that you don't have to say like oh can we please sit down? you know the good adventure buddy you know they would say oh gosh, does your foot really hurt today? Should we just stop and fix that? You know, like the type of people that will say, I'll wait for you. Let's stop. Let's fix this problem. Or like you seem, 
you seem a bit crabby today. Are you eating enough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I say those things because otherwise I'm just too tough on myself. And, and I think a lot of us, especially women who do sports, I think a lot of us know this, that we can just be so hard on ourselves. Mm. But my adventure buddy would never be hard on me. My adventure buddy would be really <laughs> nice to me. So I had to, yeah. I know it definitely sounds like I'm losing my mind at that point in the book where I'm like, in my head, I made a friend. <laughs> She helped me. So when you were talking about how you can improve how you respond to adversities or fears or anxieties, is this the sort of thing that you're talking self-talk part of that? Is this something that you can practice when you're away from the mountains or is it just something that you need to call upon when you're when you're actually there? I definitely practice it away from the mountains, um, especially because a lot of the time the situation that I was in where, you know, when we were talking about fear that you have to say, okay, I'm afraid, but I can't act afraid. And you kind of have to put these things in a bottle. These things that have happened, you still have to get home safely. So you can't have your breakdown right now. Um, so I do a lot of unpacking when I'm home. So I'm really into journaling. I'm really into yoga and meditation. All the woo-woo, instance burning stuff is where I like to be. Um, it's really good to unpack that stuff later and say, you know, what came up? How did I respond? How, like, what would help? What did help? Um, and really like expand your toolkit in that time. So yeah, I do, do, do deliberate work on it. I don't just let it wash over me and live from experience or learn from experience. I do deliberately sit with these things that have happened and work on it and improve, you know, like this relationship with fear is a skill set. It's one that I'm going to have for my whole life. So of course I want to be really good at it because scary things happen. And yeah, as we talked about in the start, you know, these are things that I chose to let happen to me. I went to these places, but I mean, you're the expert on this. Life life can give you some scary stuff. I know and that you don't choose. I'd like my skill set to be strong. <laughs> and, these things happen. and do you yeah. feel that for those tough times that you haven't chosen, that you can call on these skills and you can call on these experiences? Yeah, definitely. Um, but only with practice, to be honest, and constantly revisiting it and, you know, keeping even when I'm away from doing these hard mountain things saying that my mindfulness practice is still a really valuable thing that I have to to keep going because I mean yeah I can get set off by an email I didn't like <laughs> so then you say okay what did we learn Jen? <laughs> when you're like, in Bolivia oh, when you <laughs> yeah put on your Beyonce go into your breath <laughs> one thing yeah that... definitely think everyone okay. can improve one thing yeah. that I really wanted to ask, well, there's a zillion things, but one thing that I really wanted to ask you was in terms of when you're doing these trips, it felt like to get funding for you to do these trips, you had approached sponsors or or you were committed to, I don't know, filming, writing articles, talking about it. And I just wondered whether that would change the experience for you in terms of being present. Were you thinking oh this is going to make a good story or oh I need to write about this or I need to remember this so that I can put it in the article or something like that because I, I feel for me when I when I've been out and I've just truly been alone I've not even share it I've done like multi-day trips and things that I just don't even put on social media and stuff like that it's it's been different it's been more freeing for me yeah um yeah both um I actually found that it connected me really well, knowing that I had to take pictures and make a story because 
Um, especially when you are an endurance athlete, I mean, you can just put your head down and just hammer your legs all day. And at the end of the day, say, how was your day? And I go, I don't remember. I didn't look up. Whereas. Oh, okay. That's good. Mm -hmm. Meant that I had to look up every now and then. But remember, I mean, these trips, I mean, they were all, some of them were 25 days long at the longest. So I had the time to mess with it a bit and say, right now my headspace is I want to be isolated or I want to be completely in the moment. So sometimes the camera didn't come out for several days on end where I would just say this bits for me. Okay. So there's, there's obviously a lot. I mean, the book covers five years of my life. So there's obviously quite a lot that didn't make it into the book, but there's tons that I never took a picture of that I never wrote about. That is just for me. And that was the great thing about having such a long, such long journeys is that um, I had the luxury of saying, you know, I actually only have to come back with one story. Yeah. And like five stories a day that happen when you do something like this. So, so make um, them long enough. Is that what you say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just go out, just go out for an extra day longer and take pictures that day or week, whatever you need. <laughs> Another thing that kept coming up in the book was that you, seemed to be really distancing yourself from being an athlete and this was a distinct difference that athletes did this and you were doing this and I just wondered why why that was so important to you and what what your definition of an athlete is yeah that's been a really challenging piece of work for me is, is the term athlete um and a lot of it is just rooted in a very negative body image and perceptions that either I imagine people have of me or that people really did. You know, when I said I was going to run across Kyrgyzstan, people went, <laughs> are you? Um, so I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of work there that I just couldn't see myself like that. And then also just the way I was approaching these things, you know, I was there for an adventure. I was a writer. You know, I consider when people ask me what I do for a living, I say I'm a writer. I don't say I'm an athlete. Um, so there was a bit of that kind of maybe snobbery level of my approach. Um but yeah, being able to, I can do this really well for other people. Like you are an athlete. I don't know. I'm really, oh, stop it. <laughs> we need your adventure buddy to be at your side. Yeah, yeah. I know. My adventure or buddy would be It like, doesn't even matter. Yeah, like it's just a label anyway, isn't it? Like does it matter? Yeah. And I like the one that, I think it's a Stacey Sims, which you probably stole it from someone. But like it's the, if you train on purpose, you're an athlete. Okay. Well then, definitely an athlete. I train quite a lot. Um, but I think, yeah, I think a lot of my issue with the word was rooted in in bad body image and just thinking I don't look like an athlete, which we all know is completely incorrect and not okay and very toxic language. But this seems um, like, yeah, such a huge topic for you. And I'm really grateful for the times that you have raised it and shared um, yeah. your experiences because it seemed like, I mean, you mentioned parts in your book but I feel like I've got more of an insight from your social media post that you've written about this which was that you started running for I mean I've heard you say that it was a punishment for eating and that it didn't come from a love of running it came from trying to control your body and and then since then you've also well you've it seems like this has been something that's been with you your whole life so far yeah, I um, had a nice realization that it's 20 years now, 20 years now that I've been running um, and the majority of that out of out of punishment. And oh, just feels so sad. It is really sad. And I think realizing that um, you'd go, well, I'm not going to spend another 20 years. I'm not going to spend another 20 days doing that. And, you know, this project really helped me come out of that because I wasn't running 
wasn't running in that way. I wasn't running for those reasons. Um, I had to eat so much to survive to the finish of those things. And you just stop thinking about it. And it starts becoming about movement and loving the adventure and um, and realizing that I feel amazing in my body when it's going well. And for anyone that struggles with their body image, to have a moment where you feel amazing in your body is magic. It's a, like it's the pill that you want to take. Um, so I've really... Yeah, running came from such a dark place and seemed to be the stick that I used to beat myself with. And it, without any work for me, because I was a teenager going through this, I didn't know about mental health, never heard of it. I slowly, just through sheer running too much and getting into the zone too many times, started to get this mindfulness come in and say, this is really nice. And if you're healthy, you get to do this. And if you're not healthy you don't get to do this. And I took myself to that place many times, you know, I struggled with eating disorder and um, punished my body too hard enough times, but um, yeah. And it's, it's it, the reason why it's not a lot of it is in the book is that this healing started very much after the manuscript went in. That's when I was diagnosed with reds and told that I had an eating disorder. And I didn't know those things about myself before I knew that I had problematic thoughts but i didn't know that i was actually physically um harming myself um so that was a lot to take on and has been a lot to take on but i've put so much deliberate work in the last year or so into that and and really started to heal quite a lot so yeah i mean 20 years of running to try and burn calories and i can say 20 years later that's not it like it just doesn't work that's not what running does it will make you healthier and yeah but it won't it won't make you love I don't yeah it's it's so hard to say but Mm -hmm. um I'm not going to spend the next 20 years as a runner being miserable about it and doing it because I think I have to because I don't look right and I should you know run myself thin or something I think next 20 years I'm going to run because I get to and I love it and I feel good when I do it Yes, please do it for that reason. Um, from somebody who can't run anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I just as I said, I was like, God, what if you know, twenty years? I mean, we all hope that we will run our whole lives or have a connection to the outdoors, but it's not. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Oh. It's not granted. And I suppose when you were talking, then it made me think back to our first conversation, which was, "What are we celebrating?" And I, something that I struggle with is that. Sometimes I think that we're celebrating people that are doing very extreme things. It's not good for the body. Maybe they're coming from a place with they're not happy with their body. And there's a lot of suffering that we celebrate and really getting through some damage that we're doing to our body. And I suppose it felt like a bit of a fine line for some of your adventures in that you were seriously injured or you were suffering from I mean that thigh injury just seemed horrific and every village you're like patching it up and you're like this yeah where is that balance of celebrating what our bodies are doing without harming them too much yeah I think you've just hit the nail on things that bother me about the running media at the moment um glorifying stuff that maybe isn't well that maybe the person involved isn't well um 
it's really difficult. And then not celebrating um, rest periods and holding back and and running because it's fun. I mean, we just need more fun runs, you guys. Like ultras are are really good and racing and this FKG culture. You know, it's got it's got its merits, but we need more fun runs. Like, why aren't we doing that? Um, yeah, and actually, the the hip injury when I fell in Morocco, I actually I didn't tell a single person for a year. Like, and I do think there's a certain brand of a social media influencer that would have just put that straight online and been like, look at how hard I am. But I, I think I knew there was something very wrong with the fact that I was going to keep going. So, um, so I very much just kept it to myself. So it's like, this is obviously my issue that I've decided I'm going to run on this infected injury, but I'm not going to tell anyone else that this is good or they should applaud it or like, because this isn't good. And, and I've. I wore that running buddy that I wish I'd brought. I would have taken me home and get and, some stitches. And I did wonder when you didn't do that. I know that you talk about some of the personal choices that you make. I, I'm thinking more of Bolivia when you were suffering with altitude sickness in that I've taken this flight and I've booked this yeah. time off. And But I did wonder whether the, the sponsors and the funding and having that pressure that you extra pressure that you needed to complete this was that a decision making in carrying on when your body was perhaps saying I'm not I'm not I'm not happy here I definitely you do think about it um pulling out of something um you know this whole what we celebrate and what we don't celebrate we do not celebrate someone calling it a day we do not celebrate people scratching from the races that they do or taking a month off training you know we don't we're not very good at saying this person's made an amazing choice for their health. We don't applaud that. And we should. Um, And I obviously had that stigma really internalized at the time that I was like, I could not applaud you for being smart right now. The only thing I could applaud you doing would be finishing what you flew across the world to do. Um, So I think that, yeah, whether or not it was me or or actual external pressure, um, that was kind of where I was. And that's why I think we should really just be a lot better at when someone drops out of a race or an event or whatever i think we should say like this is amazing this person listened to their body and made the right call and so they will be able to recover and run again another day like we need to start applauding smart adult runners it's so hard isn't it i think there's that real and i suppose it comes back to that idea of resilience that a bit you know I agree with you that it is that ability to withstand, but there comes a point where, particularly with these physical challenges, that there is this kind of toxic toughness that is about just there is. pushing huge. through, about not yeah, showing vulnerability. It's like the ability to withstand, but like if you don't have to withstand, you know, and the, and suffer. That's my trigger word. Is if anyone says that they're suffering in their sport, I'm like, no, suffering. There are a lot of people in this world that are suffering and you signing up for an ultra and spending 300 quid on a new pair of shoes. Um, no, it doesn't qualify. It's not suffering. It might be a struggle. It might be really hard. It might make you cry, probably will, but it's not suffering because you do have the choice to leave. And yeah. And I do think there's a lot of resilience involved in making the choice to get out. I think that is for the skill set that most runners have, that is a really, really hard thing for us to tap into because we are not okay with, you know, that word quitting is in the back of your mind and quitting is what we were taught from a young age that we don't quit. That's a very ugly word and there's no quitting allowed. And 
Um, I think that I think it takes a lot of resilience to drop out of something and then have to sit with that disappointment for the months and years to come. I don't, I'm looking. I'm thinking of the times when I have quit, and I don't think I have any disappointment actually like there was this one time where I went off to fast pack the, like this hundred mile thing and it was supposed to be my holiday and then I realized right. after two days in that I wasn't well I still had chronic fatigue I wasn't I, I didn't need to prove anything like what was I doing this yeah. for so I just quit and came home and then just went off backpacking in the lakes for a few days you just went on a different trip I just went on it I had a day in my allotment and then just went somewhere else I was like yeah no yeah. I'm just gonna I'm, I'm not following this path it's not um it's too much pressure on me and I'm not enjoying it so I'm quite happy to quit I think but I suppose quitting running now is something that I haven't chosen and oh my god it's harder than any race at all yeah it's all of our <laughs> biggest fear is that something will happen in your circumstances that you won't be able to run anymore and I think a lot of us know that we're not ready with a replacement for everything that running gives us. And I've mm. tried so many things, Jen. Like I got really into knitting. <laughs> I haven't read that book. Sorry, when's your book about knitting coming out? <laughs> you know what? My publisher didn't, didn't jump at <laughs> the opportunity. I don't understand. <laughs> yes. And I think when I was told that I couldn't cycle, um, couldn't run anymore, you'd be like, oh, I can cycle. And then actually I found yeah. cycling Let really... I found it really painful and yeah yeah last year well this year I've I was in entered into cycling stuff that I've just again cancelled and just thought no my body's my body's not wanting this it's maybe not a good year for you right now (laughs) but I think it's come to now I'm coming to the perspective that I don't need to do do these things like I've written a book that's really exploring why we do these challenges and that we don't need to and there's joy in ordinary life which is extraordinary without yeah, doing anything it's been a big outcome for me from having done such extremely hard stuff you know I was um, fast backing with my friends on the weekend and there's we're because obviously the sun's at four o'clock right now so your fast packing days are really pressured and um and I think there was one point where the two of them just looked at me and they were like why like you just seem really relaxed about whether or not we're going to make it to our, our guest house tonight and I was like I I am I don't have anything to prove anymore mm. you know and there was a time where I felt like I really had to prove myself because I was never going to make it in this industry and then I did and now I'm I'm super content and I'm just kind of a and also because I've found running you know my relationship with running evolved so much from that place of beating myself up with it to a place of this is a beautiful thing that I get to do that now I'm just really annoyingly content. (laughs) Yeah, I think we all have a nice time. If we walk, we walk, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then, yes, because I was thinking when when you were planning your route across New Zealand and you were saying that this had zero intimidation factor, so you had to make it too much harder physically harder it was and then you were worried that it was going to be too soft and I'm like I'm not worried (laughs) yeah yeah it just felt like oh you don't need to surely yeah I think I just I really felt like I was letting the other ones down that I'd done these three expeditions at that point that were so hard in every way and I just felt like I was I was doing them an injustice by following up with a holiday Um, and then it turns out New Zealand is an incredibly difficult place to find ground for your feet on um so yeah it was 
it did make itself hard anyways. But that was, yeah, it was a really big fear for me that I'd started this thing that was meant to be challenging me. Like, you know, I was meant to be having these big moments where I learned all this stuff. And I thought if I just have a holiday where everything goes well and everything goes to plan, is that valuable? And is that what I came here for? I thought I was here to like grow. And so I needed it. I needed to know that I was going to grow. I needed to know that I was going to be put in the boiling pot and and have to and have to work and have to learn and and is there a kind of optimum obviously talk hear people talk about comfort zones and then you can go way beyond your comfort zone well you can go into this kind of period this outside your comfort zone where you can grow but then if you go way too far past it then bad things can happen Yeah. Like do you Yeah, you gotta you gotta inch past your comfort zone. You gotta know that it's right there behind you if you need to go back and And is that it. what you were fe- like trying to get that balance with in New Zealand that it, it was yeah. too much in your comfort zone and you wanted yeah. to be outside? Do you feel like that is where we learn stuff and grow and the magic happens? Yeah, I do. You know, and, and it's great to do comfortable stuff. Um, but yeah, you do find out what you're made of when you take those steps beyond. Um, those are the times that are going to challenge you. Those are the time, you know, if you're inside your comfort zone, you're not challenged. You're, you know, you're having experiences, but they're not challenging ones. They're not ones where you're going to have to find a solution. Um, so yeah, that bit outside your comfort zone, I do think that's a really important place. That's the place where growth happens. Um, and yeah, that is a trick to not going too far past it. Cause genuinely that, that is where PTSD happens. It's like not. And not what, even making a joke about mental health disorders. That is where yeah. PTSD happens. Don't go too far beyond your comfort zone. But also I quite liked how you have that period of introspection and reflection afterwards. So the way that I'm seeing it is that I can go out above uh, beyond my comfort zone, but then I'm okay to come back under a blanket and write about it and think about what yeah. happened. And yeah, and you'll we don't have to live there, do we? Outside my comfort zone going like, <laughs> in a couple of weeks, I will be back on the sofa <laughs> with my favorite blankie. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> and you touched on both in our conversation and in the book about your mental health. There was a really moving part when I think you were starting your Rockies run where you said that other people would think that you were kind of tough and um, resilient. I think you did use the word there, but actually you felt like weak, depressed and hopeless. And I just wanted to reach out and hug you at that point. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> like how you talked about that relation. Well, do you see it as a relationship with your mental health as well? And and what mm. what helps you? What have you learned? And what what I guess what helps you through the times when it's not going so well? I guess knowing now that I have and have my whole life had depression, and just being able to just say that and be super comfortable with it, and then at that point just start taking the right steps you know I went on antidepressants several months after that trip um I just realized you know this wasn't this wasn't my fault this wasn't me being bad or being ungrateful or something this was you know something that I need to address um so that was a really big one um and then I think oh I hate saying it but just being kind to yourself being more gentle um always had this tendency if I'm not doing something very well including being in a good mood um, I'll just get mad at myself for it. Just like try harder, Jennifer, you know, um, and just saying, well, that never worked in the past. It's not going to start working now. Can we try something else? Can we try mindfulness? Can we try um, gratitude? You know, what, 
Um, so definitely gone down a much better road. And and the first step of that was just saying, you're not in a bad mood, you have depression. And if you can accept that, and again, the adventure buddy, what would they say? They say, oh, you live with depression. You should definitely manage that then. You know, knowing that you might be like this forever. Do you want to live like this forever? Or do you want to, you know, take some different steps and and manage it like, like a broken leg, you know, treat it like an injury. Maybe you'll have to do physio for your whole life because of this injury. Okay. Well, you don't want to be in pain. So let's do that. And, and that's, that's kind of how it's been. And yeah, I know I, I look back on that chapter and it's always a little bit icky because it's, it is so wrong. Cause I was so blue at the start of that run. And, um, and I just, and I chose to write the book really, honestly, I don't think there was any value to me just glorifying the whole thing. So I just, I just said what happened. And I know that it's for some people, it's a really hard chapter to read and they don't like it very much, but um but yeah, that was the reality. And the best thing I can say is that I've not felt like that again since because mm-hmm. I I saw how bad it was and because I had to write it and publish it and speak to other people about it and constantly reminded how bad it was. And and I've just made the conscious choice that I'm not doing that again. I'm not letting it get out of hand again. And so I've not yeah, I've not felt that way since. Yeah, I suppose there's one one challenge of going through that personally, but you've also done it publicly in what you've shared did you feel that you had a responsibility I mean the book is really honest and I'm and that's what makes it so good and I mean I don't read loads and loads of adventure books necessarily (laughs) um but I can imagine that they're not all that honest about their insecurities and (laughs) but did you feel like you're being forced to talk about your eating disorders and your depression when you don't really want to or did you just feel like I want to share this and make those connections through sharing it yeah I definitely don't feel I mean I totally know what you mean that there's kind of uh, sounds really evil but on social right now I think there's kind of a glorification of of diagnoses and, and mental health problems um I definitely don't feel like it was ever suggested to me that I should share these things I don't think anyone's ever no sponsor has pulled me aside and said it'd be great if you kept talking about your eating disorder I was actually really scared about the <laughs> we, response yeah. over it because they might be like well she's unwell um but yes yeah, so I didn't feel any pressure but I also felt like I just couldn't write that chapter honestly unless I you know I couldn't tell you the stories unless you knew the context of where my mind was at. I mean this book is me alone so you know my mindset is kind of the constant in the book it's the main character so um yes I just I had to be honest and I and also I just I think I wrote a lot of it for when I was 16 and really struggling with my relationship with my body and with movement and wanting to adventure and wanting to have these big athletic things that I felt were so out of reach for me because I didn't belong in that world if I had read a book from someone like me who had these experiences, it would have told me that it was okay that I did belong in this world. And so I thought, you know what, I might alienate a lot of people with this stuff, but I'm not going to write the same book that everyone's already written. I'm not going to be that man versus nature conquers mountain guy. Like that book exists. If that resonates with you, go buy one of their books. Um, you know, I just have to be honest and and maybe it'll connect with people and maybe it'll get me canceled. I don't know. Well, it's out there and I'm guessing you haven't been cancelled. I haven't been cancelled. I know. <laughs> a couple of weeks after the book came out, I was like really hiding in a cave thinking, you know, what's, what's going to happen? And then you think, 
oh, no one's called and complained. Maybe no one's read the book. <laughs> Is that worse? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel the same. Like I'd be the same. I don't know whether it's just an introvert personality thing. Yeah, definitely. But it's that. I really share anything. I don't. I don't want that attention. But yeah. I'm guessing that it's been a positive response, surely for talking yeah. about these things and opening up the conversation and and also particularly what you've shared on social media about your relationship with exercise and how it's not always healthy because it's so easy to look at these photos of this of you in the mountains and I would never know what was going on behind those photos yeah totally um yeah I think mo- mainly the response has been quite positive or people resonating with it or um helping people to also arrive at their own i mean it's with anyone who has eating disorders or exercise dependency especially if you are an athlete you are training for stuff it's really hard to say at what point is my behavior problematic and then it's much harder to say it is problematic and i'm going to do something about it um so I feel like it's one of those things that you have to hear it 15 times before you even think about talking to your coach or your therapist and saying I don't think this is going well um so I think I've been quite I'm quite grateful that I've contributed that for a lot of people that people have reached out and said it helped them to to figure out their own stuff um but yeah obviously it doesn't resonate with everyone and it is a really hard topic for some people um because you know you hit people wherever they're at in their healing journey if they decide to read something you've written and and it's just not something they're ready to receive that day it's 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 really it's really hard when you write a post or um a piece that you're is ultimately about you um but you don't want it to land poorly on anyone else yeah but at some point that's not it's not your responsibility, is it? And exactly, yeah, you're all adults. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> Hopefully. yeah. <laughs> what else? What else challenges you? Like, it takes you out of that comfort zone. I was wondering if you have always found public speaking easy or making the films that you do and the writing. Um, all of this public stuff is completely and wildly out of my comfort zone. You know, I'm an introvert. I remember this comes from a girl who had really bad body image issues, like getting up in front of a room of people and saying, look at me for a minute. It's like horrific. And um, yeah, public speaking, I really enjoy it, but I have to remind myself that I enjoy it because when I'm driving to a venue, I just, I really think about um, tampering with my own car so that I can have a breakdown. And not Still now. Like, <laughs> I, I really... Um, yeah, and having having a book and having to promote the book. I mean, I was terrible at promoting it because I it meant asking people to read it. You know, it's just yeah, I'm I'm an introvert. That's why I do the things that I do. But it all comes back to I, you know, I did this for the 16 year old me who needed a role model and didn't have one. And so I just I forced myself out there. But yeah, it's forced, Jen. Like I'm not. I am out of my comfort zone. And the worst thing is, like, it always happens when you come back from an expedition. So you've been out for more than a month, completely away, completely outside, completely best version of yourself who's living in the mountains. And then you come back to the UK and get asked to go on a stage immediately because you're like fresh from the thing. And that's like, it's just too, it's too harsh. <laughs> yes, it always seemed that, well, I can't extend the date that I finish because I've got like work the next day. I presume like, yeah. I don't know whether it was a mountain festival and things like that happening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just straight in. I was like, oh, there's a lot of humans in this room. Um, 
I've not been around humans for a little while. And I guess sometimes you haven't had much time to process it and do that that no. um, that process that you talked about in terms of journaling and reading over and thinking about what had happened. Yeah, no. So if you get me right after something versus getting me four years later, you get a completely different talk because I've got a new perspective on it. You know, you spend your time unpacking and self-inquiry and time inside yourself. Um, and these things can kind of change over time and what they meant to you and what you got from them. Oh, absolutely. And that's the same. Like I, I cringe at some of the things that I used to write in terms of my race oh, never blogs. Read back stuff. Never really bad. <laughs> well, I had to, to edit my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I suppose it's a bit like you were saying about that chapter at the start of the, the Rockies where you don't feel like that now, but I think there's value you keeping it in and showing that journey. And, and also with hindsight, we can put lovely conclusions and and, and well thought out passages. But if we weren't thinking that at the time, it's not particularly honest, is it? Yeah. And there's so much you learn about yourself through that as well. You're like, well, look at you in the moment and look at you now. (laughs) I just want to go back and say, just stop taking it so seriously. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, yeah, if I could go back in time and visit me on the trail and every one of those and just give give me the advice that I got to in the end. Yes. The thing that you're going to learn in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> but if you learned it now and you didn't end up hurting yourself, I'd be, yeah. I don't know, which would you choose? <laughs> what would you have done and if you knew all this? Well, I wouldn't have fallen off a cliff in Morocco, I tell you that. <laughs> not not super proud of that moment. Yeah, that was a an interesting trip for a number of reasons but I suppose one of the big themes that I haven't touched on was about your safety as a woman when you were going through this and I'm guessing this is something that you talk about and and get asked about a lot in that it you're in some really vulnerable situations and yeah so what now you've had four years to process it what's your lovely succinct paragraph about being a woman and being and and your own personal safety that you share on yours, which I'm really grateful that you do. Um, and it's a really depressing answer to the woman's safety thing, but it's that every female who's a runner has thought about her safety. Every female who's a runner has been in situations she was incredibly uncomfortable with. Um, every female runner has this in her mind all the time. So, you know, like and when female runners, they face danger in their hometowns. We get told we can't run after dark. We get told we can't run alone. We get told we can't trail run because that's more dangerous, but we can't city run because that's actually more dangerous. You know, it's every female runner knows that it's more dangerous to be a woman. That doesn't change because I'm doing the run in Bolivia versus, you know, it's funny whenever I have to go to London for a talk, no one ever says, oh, be careful going for a run there. But actually, like, you know, so it is a really depressing answer, but every female it lives every day of her life taking precautions and when you're at home they're they're kind of unconscious you know how to dress in this country to avoid attention you know what places and what times are are just not a place that will be good for you in your own country so you just don't think about it but if you do stop and think about how many daily actions you take just because you're a woman and life is different then that's basically what it is when you're away it's you know, you're just more conscious of it because you're having to do it in a different culture. And it's such a depressing answer. But that is it, is that it's not fair to be a woman. It's not safe to be a woman anywhere. 
Um, some places are way safer than other places. I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but it's that we are already thinking about it. We are already trained for it. Um, and I don't want to have to coddle my life because of that. I don't want to have to then be wrapped in a bubble because, because the world is not fair to women because it's more dangerous to be a woman. Um, of course, I make different choices than Amanda's. Um, you know, I did carry a knife in some places. Um, I was recently in South Africa and I carried pepper spray and it brought me a lot of comfort to have it. And these are things that men wouldn't think about. Mm. Uh, and And also like you know, little things like my social media, for example, I don't post live when I'm on the trail and say what's going on on the trip, because that would be a live indication of exactly where I am with all the expensive equipment. I just bragged about owning, (laughs) you know, so I don't, um, so everything is posted, um, many days behind when it actually happened. Um, and you know, Kamut is one of my biggest sponsors and that's a map software. So I always say to them before I go, like, you know, I'm not going to post anything on Kamut until I'm home safe because I'm not saying, you know, I can't preview the route for anyone and let them know what I'm doing because, like, I, I can't have people have the route in advance. And it's just yeah. these are things that I think men would do. But I don't think, I mean, yeah. it's not even about running, is it? I, I think I'm thinking back to, you know, I come to a talk to hear you and not the one in how the situation. But in Sheffield, I came to the sidetrack one and actually I've then got to walk on a very dark street back to my van and that's, it's uncomfortable yeah. and I, I take precautions and I life. thought about where I was parking, what direction I was facing, I have my car, you know, it's those things, isn't it? It's not just yeah, it's for running. Activities. And I think when people from my home countries will say, isn't it dangerous going there? I'm like, can you just please take a minute to think about how it's actually dangerous here? And that's where we have a responsibility. I can't go tell Morocco how to treat their women, but how about in Scotland? Can we have a conversation at home and say, you know, hold up a mirror to yourselves when you're talking about other cultures being dangerous because, you know, femicide is a problem in Britain. It it exists. Yeah. It's still dangerous. It's still more dangerous to be a woman or a person who sits outside the patriarchy, basically. And and maybe I... I don't really have confidence that that's changing. But what I do feel is changing is that conversation about from women saying, why is it our responsibility to keep ourselves yeah. safe? And I feel like that is something that has got wider and louder yeah. in the last few years, maybe. Yeah, I think the whole raise your sons better rather than raise your daughters to to stay safe. Like, yeah, um, I do think that's better. I do think the the group of men who who will identify as feminists who are you know trying to be better for us i i think that is a growing group of men and that's a really nice thing to see um so i just hope that the momentum keeps on going because i know it's not the same in every country um but i do feel i do feel very lucky to be british when i know that um we are moving in the right direction mm. and do you always get asked what's next? What are you doing? You must have something big planned. Do you feel like there's a pressure that you have to go above and beyond what you've already done and where's it going to stop? Yeah. Or are you quite happy to say? Is that I'm going to launch some really cool big expedition. But like I said, <laughs> I, when I feel, I now feel like I have nothing to prove and I get to just enjoy um, what I have. Um, yeah, I think I struggled for the first year after finishing to find something that was really cool and big that I could 
tell everyone about it, especially because at the time, you know, I was doing so many interviews and they all end with what's next. It's like, we're not entertained <laughs> enough. Um, we need more. Yeah. You've done that. Yeah, Give exactly. us some more. I think, and I really struggled and I tried to go on trips and I just thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll cycle across the mountain range on every continent. You know, I love this. I really do love the mountain range project and I have kept going with it, just changing the rules. Um, so I did some cycling, I did some combo of cycling and running, you know, I'm just kind of doing things my own way. Um, but yeah, it, it was like every time I tried to get back and I tried too soon to get back to doing big, scary adventures and I just couldn't convince myself and I just couldn't get through them. And it took me a while to kind of realize it's because I'm like, one, I'm exhausted, but also I'm just really content with what I did and and I don't feel the pressure anymore because I did prove to myself that I was capable of what I set out to do you know it wasn't about proving it to other people I really had to prove that one to myself and now that I have I'm like well I want to pick fun things I want to do things with my friends I want to enter more events because that's where you meet with cool weird people you know and just kind of um yeah but I think big big answer would be um this body image piece that I've finally really made so much peace with and figured out for myself that's something that I realized you know I wasn't alone I was you know everyone that goes through that stuff thinks that they're the only one who's who's not fitting in but actually um that's something I've really discovered is that I'm not the only one who thinks these things and it's bullshit and it's stopped so I want to find out how I can use what I've learned to to help heal more people I'm just remembering the amazing film that you did with Emily Chappell about this as well. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, though. Tell us. My body at its best. That's it. So it's definitely something that a lot of other people are feeling. And people that we look up to as being athletes, and you might not, you might cringe at that, or you might be happy with that now, but athletes and high profile adventurers and things. So. Yes, that was a re- felt a really valuable film, and I'm so grateful that you made that, and also that it was something that was seemed to be that was supported by sponsors as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it went mainstream. You know, it's our sponsor Canyon, who are one of the biggest bike brands in the world, and you know, get their bikes across the finish line on the Tour de France. You know, they're as mainstream elite level as it gets in in cycling, which is a world where I mean, talking about body image, like that is the sport to be scared of. Um, yeah, we couldn't believe that they backed us doing that and they weren't scared of it and, you know, said, you know, the time is now to start having these conversations. We're ready for it. We're, um, yeah, so that was, that was really cool to have that platform that Emily and I were able to to get our message on their, you know, the huge megaphone that they had in the cycling world. Yeah. And I'm guessing it's not something, thinking particularly in the cycling world where so much is about weight, that it's, it's not limited to females or this is something no. that's universal, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that's certainly something that I had to learn, and I've learned kind of through my own DMs that every time I post this kind of stuff, um, the women tend to comment how much it resonates mm. with them, their own experiences, and and I love reading that. The men send, tend to DM me about it, um, which is really interesting that um, I do think they're suffering silently because so there's an actual talk about it because it's obvious. Yeah, but there's more, yeah. even more stigma. Yeah, exactly. That a man shouldn't be sad about his body or whatever it is. And yeah, and that's the thing that I've really learned over the last couple of years of talking about this stuff openly is that, gosh, we're all made to feel like we're not good enough. 
And we're all just sitting with that and not... And then like feeling even more that we're not good enough because we have these feelings. It's kind of compounds, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah, it's just you can't win <laughs> unless we say this is bullshit, let's all stop. Okay, let's do well, that then. Yeah, let's do that then. <laughs> oh, so promoting that, are there any more... Um, is there another book coming out, Gemma? <laughs> oh, I'm really lazy. <laughs> oh well thank you so much i'm guessing that social media your jenny tuffer account which is your real name is the best place to follow you <laughs> yeah real name from birth <laughs> i loved it in new zealand where you met mr strong as well. i know i know nominative determinism that's what they call it <laughs> yeah oh jenny thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and letting me ask all these very personal questions for inviting me you. on jen take care and i'll speak to you soon thank you for listening to the resilience rising podcast if you have enjoyed this episode please do help people find us by hitting subscribe leaving a review or sharing us with others thank you so much and see you next time on the resilience rising podcast